Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes. For 50% off of your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and enter the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. This episode is also brought to you by a summer camp, Camp Tornesol. This is French camp. Since 2001, they have been providing French camps in the greater Toronto area for tens of thousands of children aged 4 to 14. They now have 17 campuses in the GTA. They have an overnight camp in Bracebridge. There's a 13-day trip to Quebec. This is good for kids at all levels of French. Your kid can learn French while going to a great summer camp. So, for listeners of the show, you get 20 bucks off of your first order at camptea.ca. That's camptea.ca, promo code CanadaLand. On the topic of Israel, everybody's a media critic. What language did the press use? Who was invited to appear on which panel? The nerdy granular work that we do here, scrutinizing headlines for evidence of bias, adding up column inches to determine which kind of stories get more space than others, comparing the way that different news organizations cover the same story. 
if you check Facebook, anytime the conflict flares up, everybody is doing that media criticism work or commenting on it. And oh, how the comments devolve. It goes from somebody pointing out the use of an emotionally manipulative photograph to somebody calling someone else a baby-killing racist in a remarkably short period of time. And to what end? What is the point of all the talking, all the arguing, the years of arguing and bad feeling and name-calling? Is the idea to win? You can't win an argument about Israel. What do you win? To put it in the most vulgar and self-interested terms possible, and to possibly breathe life into a racist stereotype while I do so, I lose every time I talk about Israel-Palestine. Because talking about Israel costs me money. Every time it comes up, I lose a few supporters from both sides. It's Israel. Nobody wins. I've said all this before. I've explained why I hate this topic. But here we go again. We're going to try again. Because the only thing worse than talking about Israel is not talking about it. So here are the parameters. Here's the goal that I set out for today. In the panel that you're about to hear, I asked my guests to stick to the media coverage, the Canadian media coverage, and just last week's media coverage in Canada. Not media bias over the years, not the conflict itself and how to resolve it, not who is to blame or what should be done or what's in your heart. But last week, when 40,000 demonstrators assembled at the fence separating Gaza and the U.S. moved their embassy to Jerusalem and 62 Palestinians were killed by the Israeli military, I challenged my guests and myself to stick to talking about the Canadian media coverage of those events. We tried to achieve that goal, and we failed. It's Israel. Nobody wins. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Kendall Melchuk, Catherine Dudney, Craig Eisberg, Jenny Henkelman, Christopher Bennell, Jen, Jill Sackville, and Dana Ashcroft. I support Canada Land because before Canada Land, I didn't really understand the how, the what, and the why behind Canadian reporting and the media. Now I have a tool that can help me understand that and be more critical of the media in a constructive fashion. This episode is also brought to you by Irby Steak Skewers, also by Pork Tagine. That's on the menu at HelloFresh. Irby Steak Skewers, good for the grill, and Pork Tagine. I've never had pork done tagine, but that sounds delicious. There are recipes that HelloFresh will send you, and they'll send you all the ingredients and instructions on how to cook it, and a lot of it is already ready to go, and there's not too much ingredients, so you throw things away. It's all sent to your door, and you'll be cooking things that it would never have occurred to you to cook, that you might not have in your repertoire, in your game as a home cook. They're good like that. They're good for variety. They're good for not getting in a rut, and they're good for keeping you cooking as opposed to just doing takeout. So... Get 50% off of your first box by visiting hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community they're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day -day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, 
And their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Finally, this episode is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. This is continued learning. This is online learning for grown-ups. Why stop learning stuff just because you're out of school? It's a joy to pick up a subject. And what is great about The Great Courses Plus is that it's a subscription-based all-you-can-learn service. So you don't have to sign up for a course that you might not like. You can go at your own pace. You can learn everything from French to Spanish, how to draw. You can learn from incredible professors and experts. The production values of these videos are very high. I have been enjoying the course, The Everyday Gourmet, Rediscovering the Lost Art of Cooking. It turns out I have been holding my knife wrong for years. I've been chopping onions improperly. There is a reason why my brunoise sucked and I've cured that. There's tons of stuff at The Great Courses Plus, literally thousands of lessons. And this is the exciting part. You can just check it out for free. You get a month, a month for free when you go to this URL, The Great Courses Plus, spell out plus, dot com slash Canada land. Once again, that is the great courses plus dot com slash Canada land. Why don't we begin if I could ask you each to let me know who you are and what you do. Elamine, why don't you begin? Sure. I'm Elamine Abdul Mahmoud, BuzzFeed News Editor of News Curation. I'm Karen Mock. I'm a human rights consultant and presently president of JSpace Canada, which is a, a volunteer, progressive Jewish organization. You're both brave and trusting people because we're going to do something that so so frequently ends poorly. We're going to talk about Israel, and these conversations have such a high propensity uh, when we hear them on the media to end in bitter name calling or their you know boundless debates over events going back. Uh, sometimes thousands of years, people citing religious precedents. Uh, there, there, there seems to be no no rules, and to what end? I often find myself wondering. Why don't we talk about specific things like language, words, pictures, headlines in the Canadian media over the this last week, with with specific reference to the things that have been published? Try to deal with some of these questions of media bias and and, and representation. I'm in, as long as we don't like try to resolve the whole conflict, because I don't think 
Like, I don't have the kind of training for that, you know? That's not... It might be beyond the scope of this podcast, <laughs> though every conversation about Israel seems to attempt to uh, solve this intractable problem. We're not We're not going to solve uh, the Israel-Palestine question here, but we are going to talk about the Canadian media's handling of it. I would like us to begin with the headlines, because the headlines that Elamine, you screen grabbed and pointed out are all stories that were not written by Canadian news organizations. You brought our attention to a bunch of Canadian media headlines, but the headline was the only made in Canada part because the stories were from the Washington Post's wire service and the Associated Press's wire service. So we can look just at the headline and try to infer what it tells us about these news organizations' predisposition towards these issues. And the one caveat that plays into analyzing the headlines is that in this case in particular, the headlines all changed. And it's confusing. And when headlines change, unlike when other things change in a news story and corrections are issued and, and timestamps are put on those corrections, news organizations change headlines. They don't explain when or where or why. They do it all the time. They do it all the time. Usually for clarity. Like, let's not be conspiratorial about it. Usually there's some sort of clarity that's intended when you change a headline. However, in this particular case, I think there was... For clarity or for A-B testing. You're from yeah. BuzzFeed. They do it for, to, for sure. to optimize for traffic, but they also do it for editorial reasons. They also do it when pressure is exerted. They also do it for factual reasons. It may be impossible for us to get to exact clarity as to when each headline occurred or because there might have been an earlier headline. But at the time that you tweeted this out, Elamine, maybe you could take us through sure. the way that these stories were framed by their headlines in these different Canadian news organizations. Okay, so let's uh, let's look at some of these headlines, right? First of all, the National Post. They ran this headline, at least 43 dead as protests take off ahead of new U.S. embassy inauguration in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the Washington Post goes with Israelis killed dozens of Palestinians in Gaza protesting U.S. embassy move to Jerusalem. That's the exact same story, right? So the story was written by the Washington Post, and then National Post ran the same story with the same byline, just a different headline. And that National Post headline said, at least 43 dead as protests take off. I don't know what that means. Right. I genuinely don't know what that means. So this is a, a use of the passive voice. Yes. Uh, we're trained not to use that. Yes. Uh, forget bias, just about clarity. What happened and who did it or what journalists are supposed to write headlines to explain. Literally word for word, the exact same story, just yeah. much more passive headline versus a much more active headline. And then we see this happen again, the star in the globe. So the star's headline is mass protests in Gaza lead to dozens of deaths ahead of U.S. embassy event in Jerusalem. While the Globe and Mail goes with Israeli forces kill dozens in Gaza protest as U.S. opens Jerusalem embassy. Can I point out something about that? Sure. Well, two things. One, the star is not using the passive voice there. They are actually attributing a cause to the deaths. Mass protests in Gaza lead to the deaths, says the star. It's still terribly unclear. Oh, yeah. I mean, how the protest led to the deaths sure. is not explained, but it yeah. is attributing a cause for the deaths. And the cause, according to the Toronto Star's original headline, is the protests themselves. And they're relying on the same Associated Press story as Globe and Mail. Yes. When the Globe and Mail runs it, it's more clear Israeli forces kill dozens, which is just a statement of fact. Right. And I'll point out another one. There was a, an original CBC headline that read as follows. Netanyahu, Trump's daughter and her husband, mark opening of U.S. embassy in Jerusalem as protests cause deaths. That was the original CBC headline, directly attributing the cause of death to the protests themselves. Now, the other thing I want to point out about that is that I think that the Toronto Star is commonly believed to be the more pro-Palestinian yeah. news source, That's and the true. Globe and Mail is thought of as being more pro-Israel. But in this case, the bias that you might read into those different headlines seems, seems reversed. Totally. 
And if I might add, Jesse, when you said, yes, if it weren't in the passive, it could have read Israeli forces kill dozens, then that also would have illustrated a different kind of bias. So sometimes the media go for the so-called passive tense or just stating a fact without any context or blame ascribed because they're also afraid of the fallout. Karen, are you saying that 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 has its own bias in it? Israeli forces kill dozens? Yes, it does. Because that strikes me as simply uh, a factual statement. What is the bias of... it is a factual statement, but a headline which by its very nature needs to grab the attention of the reader can't provide context for it. I mean, you may recall in the past some of the most awful, what have been called anti-Israel headlines in the international media would just state a fact like, in Tel Aviv, three killed in attack in shopping center, but with no context that these were terrorists that were armed and were coming in shooting, and that's why they got shot. So obviously a headline doesn't tell the whole story. It can't. It just has to grab the reader. I guess I understand your point that a headline is plucking from a complicated story. Uh, It is an attempt to summarize that story. It is also an attempt to pull the most important and newsworthy, why is this a news story? The headline is supposed to tell you that, and it is supposed to entice you to read this story. In the case of this reporting, what happened on the 14th is that Israel killed, I think, what turned out to be 62 people. I'm trying to figure out how a headline would pull any other fact from the events of the 14th. That was what made this. Uh, it was the most lethal day in, in, in years. It I mean, was that's, the, the, that's sheer... the news, right? Like that's the news story. The news story is that Israeli forces killed dozens. Is there another headline that you think would be a more accurate and fair way to describe I just what happened? To, to oh. clarify something, sure. I'm saying that they're trying to hedge their bets and not end up with all kinds of complaints. I'm not saying that that wasn't the lead and that that shouldn't have been the lead and that wasn't the news story. Because it is, you know, that awful old expression, if it bleeds, it leads. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, they put out a headline that is factual, and that's the news story. But some of them want to hedge their bets by not just coming out with what could be said to be a one-sided statement. The use of passive voice in headlines about Israel is a complaint of people who feel that the media is biased in favor of Israel, uh, a long-standing complaint. It all changed in the case of all those headlines, and it changed, I believe, and again, we can't say this with absolute certainty because the timelines of the changes are not documented, but the New York Times ran a story which similarly used the passive voice. Dozens of Palestinians have died in protests as the U.S. prepares to open its Jerusalem embassy. That led to online criticism from Glenn Greenwald and then people like Judd Apatow, And the New York Times changed the headline. They changed the headline to Israel kills dozens at Gaza border as U.S. embassy opens in Jerusalem. Yes. I believe it all happened after the New York Times changed their headline. The National Post changed their headline. More than 50 protesters killed at Israel Gaza. The Toronto Star changed it from protests lead to dozens of deaths to Israeli soldiers shoot and kill at least 55 Palestinians. 
And the CBC's headline changed from protests caused deaths changed to Palestinian death toll rises in protests against U.S. embassy opening in Jerusalem. So what I want you both to weigh in on is this seeming influence of the New York Times. We've been told to abandon this passive voice thing by many interested parties for a long time. We still do it. But today, the New York Times made a decision to abandon passive voice and just say, who killed them? Israeli forces killed them. Sure. And now we'll do the same thing. Karen, why don't you go first? What, what do you think about that editorial decision to change all those headlines? Well, again, they don't change them without reaction from, as you say, interested parties. And the horrific deaths need to be front and center. This is a, a very, very difficult an emotional time. And readers do get very emotional. It is horrible to see the loss of any innocent life. But when a headline is such that it only looks as if one of the sides is totally to blame, well, there goes those murderous Israelis again, killing poor, innocent people. And God forbid, nobody should be using, in my view, lethal force on unarmed, innocent civilians, ever. But having said that, we need to have some sense of at least drawing the reader in to the article to see who did what and why and what was the actual context. I mean, it's very hard to, to speak about these issues when... There are so many innocent lives being lost. It, you know, I think we might consume a different set of media, Karen, because as far as I know, like there's a long history of being very passive about Israel committing any kind of violence in headlines, particularly um, words like clashes, words like protests leading to death are actually a very common way to refer to any time that Israeli forces are involved in killing innocent civilians in Gaza. And there's a real hesitation, at least in Canadian media. I don't know about world media. I think the BBC has like a strong sort of history of being very factual about these things, for example, and they draw a lot of criticism from Israel supporters. But at least in Canadian media, there's like a long history of being very passive in terms of talking about Israel. This is not just from this particular story, but it extends back years and years. And it was especially the case during the whole Harper government, because it was a real hesitation to sort of bring forth serious criticism of Israel in headlines. I see Canadian papers going to extreme lengths to sort of avoid being seen as criticizing Israel. That has been that's been a long standing. What I try to do is not read only one source or two sources. And sure. when there's controversial issues, I'll have, I mean, we get the Globe and Mail on a regular basis now and the Star and the Globe on the weekends. But then when there's controversial stories or these kinds of uh, issues coming up, I'll go out and I'll make sure I've got all three of the national newspapers and I'll survey to see what some of the others are doing, just to make a comparison. Because this is where I need to mention a little bit about why I do that. Because we created J-Space Canada as a progressive Jewish voice to try to tell the whole story and try to make it safe for people to have the courageous conversations where Israel can and should be criticized for their policies that, in our view, many of which are obnoxious and violate human and civil rights uh, under the Netanyahu government, but at the same time, 
not as Jesse said at the beginning of our conversation, these issues end up with people vilifying each other and not speaking factually. But again, the whole story has to be told. There are so many news organizations who go out of their way to sort of shift blame away from Israel in headlines. And that was what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation in those headlines from the Toronto Star, um, from the National Post. It was, you know, it's like bending over backwards to sort of write language that is so ambiguous as to, you know, avoid mentioning that Israeli forces might have killed some people, which is at least a set of the facts that we have to include here. Oh, yeah. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, and again, there are some media that will bend over backwards not to offend one side or the other. So what we're all saying, I think, is true. You're being journalist, you're going to want to have the kinds of headlines that are going to, yes, state the facts and the truth and what's going to get readers to read because it's more emotional, because it's more direct, because it's to the point. And then the story has to be told. Yes, for a conversation where I feel like at this point, anyhow, we actually agree in large part, it's feeling remarkably contentious. And I think I understand why. And I think that if we return to the text itself, we'll get some clarity on this. But it's interesting, and I'll note this, amid what you said, the use of lethal force, the case for why that was absolutely necessary has not been made. And stop me if I'm wrong about any of this, Karen. We have deep concerns at the risk of bringing in our personal bias and feelings about this. I'm very alarmed at the death count. I'm very alarmed. I don't feel that we know for a fact that that and was necessary. For the record, I think that's. I am very alarmed too. That's what I'm saying. I feel like given that we share that concern, we're getting prickly here. And I think that that's because there's there's a legitimate concern on your part, Karen, if I'm not misrepresenting you, that in explicating and reporting on that death count, do we risk eclipsing the other uh, aspects of the story? And I'll hesitate to say both sides, but just all facts. Why because do the there... stakes have to be that high? Like, why is this about demonizing Israel and not just mentioning what Israeli forces might have done, right? I that's So this is what I'm sort of trying to get at, is that it sort of immediately feels contentious to just like, talk about Israeli forces as having done anything. It feels fraught and it feels really loaded. Um, but as journalists, we have to be able to say what happened and they killed them. Right. Right. All the language is loaded. Saying protests uh, conjures up certain, okay, protests, and then we, we, we and then that's been expanded even in this conversation to peaceful protests. Sure. They were not entirely peaceful protests. There were bombs on kites. There were uh, there were live ammunition on the part of, of, of the protesters. Uh, to say a protest, you know, brings up an image of people rallying and just trying to get their voice heard. No, it was a physical, uh, you can't call it an, an infiltration sure. because there was not a sovereign country infiltrating another country, right? Certainly. I want to keep us moving through the coverage and what our listeners are going to hear right now, I'm going to play a clip of this really remarkable interview that played on As It Happens that a lot of people have been talking about. Deputy Minister Oren, is there any limit to the number of Palestinians that Israel is willing to shoot and kill? It depends on Hamas, uh, Carol. Israel bears absolutely zero responsibility for this. This is Hamas, which starves out its own population. It, it, it burns fuel, it burns food going into Gaza to starve out the population, to create despair, and then drives the population to the fence, hoping these four people can punch a hole in the fence so the terrorists can pour through and kill our civilians. Okay, so the answer so is yes, there is, there is no limit then to the numbers of you are willing well, to kill. It's a question you're going to have to place to Hamas. 
How do you think that looked to the world yesterday when all those people were shot dead at their border? I think it looked to the world the way Hamas wanted it to look for the world. The world that reported this are basically complicit in a terrorist operation by Hamas. You're doing just what they want you to do. Even your line of questioning is just what Hamas wants. And frankly, Carol, you're complicit in further damage and even deaths of Palestinian kids because Hamas is going to conclude from listening to this interview that it works. If Hamas is playing us, then aren't you doing its bidding? If you are going to shoot people because they want this publicity, then aren't you doing exactly what Hamas wants you to do? If this is what you think this is all, we're all being played, and that's why we're doing these interviews, because I've been played. Why do its bidding? Why do the, the work that it wants you to do? Why shoot those people so that we end up doing this interview? Because we have no choice, because there's no way we can stop them otherwise. And it's not innocent people. Virtually half of the people killed were Hamas armed terrorists. Carol Off is now being accused by HonestReporting.ca, which is uh, a, a media accountability group that scours the media for evidence of anti-Israel bias. They have lodged a formal complaint against the CBC for that interview, which they feel is evidence of Carol Off misusing and abusing her position as a public broadcaster to launch an assault on Israel. What do you guys think? Oh, boy. I certainly am not going to defend what Michael Oren said, because he is a mouthpiece for a government whose policies I don't approve of. I feel a a bit uh, caught right now between a rock and a hard place because you know how passionately I care about when Arabs kill Arabs, when Jews kill Arabs, when Arabs kill Jews, when anybody kills anybody. But I do have to ask, where is the media being as outraged and using this kinds of language as excessive use of force and, you know, lethal force and disproportionate and so on, when the perpetrators are not Israel and it's not in the Middle East. There's that other awful saying, and I'm not one who speaks in platitude, Jews are news. What's the reason for that? Is that sort of latent anti-Semitism and people who know me and know my work and know that I will stand up against all forms of oppression, uh, know that I don't use that term lightly. And I think criticism of Israel and its many of its policies is absolutely not anti-Semitic. But headlines and sound bites can't possibly do what I think needs to be done to put the blame where it needs to be blamed. I think returning to the CBC uh, interview itself, I'll say a few things. I mean, the first thing I'll note is that this is the same Carol Off who a month ago was being accused of being sort of in the pocket of the Israel lobby when she distanced herself from the CJFE for leaving their their board when they uh, denounced Israel. But hold on a minute. Exactly. So the journalists very often... This isn't that, though, right? Like... But I believe that everyone who felt that, and and there was a uh, almost a a paranoid sense that somehow Jewish influence or Israeli influence had compelled her to leave CGFE and that it was somehow verboten for her to criticize. Imagine if she had not left CGFE and And now she was facing this kind of... This interview vindicates absolutely that decision. She needed to maintain the independence in order to do this accountability interview with Michael Oren. Which I I think she nailed. I I, I think it was an excellent interview. I, I, I think that the question that she's coming under fire for, leading the interview with the question, what 
what is the limit is the appropriate question, not because it makes Israel look bad, but if Israel's position, as Michael Oren states it, is that lethal force is, uh, is necessary, what the world is asking Israel right now is where does that end? 100%. Where does that end? That is the uh, only question. There are question. two sides to this that conflict. That is the only question. But the use of disproportionate force, the use of unnecessary force, if, and he says, if we wanted to kill people, we could kill a lot more people than we did. She asks him, is there can you is there a limit to that? And he does not provide a limit. I learned something informationally, and that is her job as a journalist, which is that Israel is unwilling at this point to say, well, we could have bombed all 40,000, uh, but we won't do that. That's too much for us. He wouldn't put a line in that. Her sticking to her line of questioning as he called her out, I think rather deplorably, as having the blood of Palestinian children on her hands, awful. That was awful. And he Absolutely. Be but, we're, but, but Karen, you, you bring up a point. But at the same time, why would he engage in those kinds of hypotheticals? It's why not a hypothetical. It's would a direct he, question. Then, would he then turn around and say, oh, well, uh, if they actually do storm it and manage to thing, then... then Karen, I'm not sure it was a hypothetical. I, mean, I, 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 I thought I it was actually a very specific question. That, you know, if there's, if there's 40,000 people storming, I mean, how can you even measure such a question in, in the loss of life? Because if 40,000 people are storming your border and 50 of them are shot, uh, or 60 of them, 50 of whom Hamas says, in fact, were armed... Hamas many more were shot. 662 operatives. were killed. Uh, uh, many one. more were shot. Um, 2,700 people were injured. Yes. Yeah. And, and there were, I think, something like 19 yes. medics who are clearly marked were shot. Uh, the questions... Which is why we do need to have yes. a proper investigation. This whole thing cannot be argued in, uh, in headlines and probing... Uh, well, questions. no, it's, we entirely, it's entirely appropriate to ask an official like Michael Oren uh, why why Israel did what it did and, and where where will it end? Yes, yes. Why did yeah. you do what you did? Is an yeah, and I don't know that that question. That, but how many more lives are you prepared to take in the interest of protecting your borders when you've been told that? You know, people are supposed to be storming. These if borders. Michael Oren says we could have hurt you more know, people, that, then that is the next question. That is not, I believe, well, an Well, I, 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 uh, I think it is appropriate to ask Israel, where is your line? That's what the world wants to know is what level of lethal violence is the line. And I think we, we actually got an answer, which is we don't have one. Yeah. There is such a sense, a profound sense, that the media is in the tank for either side, depending on who you talk to. And I will pull from even what Michael Oren said. Um, and Karen, you know, this is the part of, of his rather uh, aggressive and belligerent um, case that resonated with you. And, and, and frankly, I think that he does represent something that I think is quantifiable, um, which is why is the media so hyper-focused on Israel? And, and so when we present, when we hear voices that can build a case saying that the, that the media is far too soft on Israel, they will point to things like the use of passive voice in headlines. Uh, as, as we were pointing out earlier in this conversation, when we hear the other argument made that the media is incredibly overly hypercritical of Israel, that case is presented with different evidence. And the evidence is that the sheer amount of coverage that is applied to Israel is completely disproportionate and is not justifiable based on if we're going to portion out coverage based on the number of deaths, there are other places where more people are killed by brutal regimes. If we're going to... That's not the only thing that we put... So... Fine. I, you're, I, you're making, I, I, you're stating the argument. I believe there was a copious research done showing that in terms of just journalists per per capita, Israel was the world leader of, of you know. 
So, are, but are there reasons for this? And there are many reasons for this. Sure. And one of the biggest well, well, reasons is okay, that. Okay. So let's analyze this. Let's analyze this. If in fact, in the most like objective terms possible, it's a double standard in that we we do hold we ask questions of Israel that we don't ask of other regimes. We we well like Nicaragua. Like what are we talking about? Because there is a relationship that Israel has with lots of Western countries yeah. that is a vastly different from those other nations that we don't claim um, uh, we question as much. And so one of the reasons that Israel gets asked these questions as often as it does is because it has very close ties to Canada. It has very close ties to the U.S. So that is like that is an ally. But even right? when like, the U.S. perpetrates these I think Canadian know, media should ask a lot more questions of the U.S. I'm not – I totally agree with you. I think we should be asking a lot more questions yeah. of the U.S. I think that you can explain that through a bunch of different things. One is that Israel is of incredible geopolitical importance and is therefore newsworthy. Sure. Israel is the topmost uh, recipient of U.S. aid and therefore from a U.S. media perspective, there's a higher public interest in covering Israel. There are other reasons that are more practical. And there's other reasons that are more sinister. There are. Yes. So we were talking earlier about how all this Canadian news coverage is from like wire service. We don't have reporters in Israel anymore except for the CBC's Derek Stoffel. Yes. I asked him, are you the last Canadian reporter who's based in Israel? He said, yes, CTV is gone, everyone's gone. And even Derek Stoffel does not have a full-time job of covering Israel. He's the Middle Eastern correspondent for CBC. So when we talk about Syrian coverage or coverage of what's happening in Iran, it is from a guy who's based in, I believe, Jerusalem. What is the reason for that? What is the reason for so many journalists living in Israel? There's a practical reason. It's very hard to live in Syria. As a journalist. And I think a lot of uh, Israelis feel that Israel is being unfairly targeted because it's a comfortable place to live. Sure. So there's practical considerations that factor into this. And I believe that in some cases, Karen, I do believe that anti-Semitism is a reason why, why Israel is singled up. It is becoming increasingly hollow to many ears, the complaint of why are Jews news over other people? Why do you care? Why do you hold us to a higher standard? Isn't isn't everything that Israel has put forth about itself through its history and everything that I was taught growing up as a kid in Hebrew school, that Israel wants to be held to a higher standard and believes it, that it operates at a higher standard? I, it, I find myself not compelled by that. There is a narrative that truly bothers me and has been bothering me for a long time. Um, first, let me begin by saying that so many of the headlines and the stories tied uh, this particular protest um, to the opening of the Jerusalem embassy. That is simply not true. The protest has Th been- There's in a connection. It's tied, but it's it's not- yeah, believe me, if I may finish, sure. the protest has been on the books for weeks, yeah. right? So, like, these actions have been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. They've been organized. They've well, been so coming has ways. the announcement of when the embassy was going to be moved on the books Fine, weeks but, weeks weeks. but it's, yeah, but the protests were tied to Nakba Day, which was on the 15th, right? So, like, it's, you know, they're totally separate They events. moved up the calendar, I think. The argument that Hamas is playing a PR game is just factually true and, Fine. That, and that there's a connection. Fine. It was, it was overrepresented. But if I, but if I can sure. get, get to the other part that bothers sure. me, which is that, like, sometimes we talk about this as a Hamas is tying up people from Gaza and like throwing them in front of a fence, which is simply not true. Saying that Hamas is responsible is sort of like dehumanizing the people that show up at the fence. Because to me, those people have agency when they get on the buses. They're making a choice to go protest peacefully or not. Some of them are not going to protest yeah, but you're, peacefully. You're arguing against uh, something that is not being presented in this conversation. Like uh, th that, that has been presented th th and that's been presented. Okay, let, let's contextualize that within that's, the Canadian media. Yeah. Uh, this is something that I think helps us to speak to and where I think there is a latent anti-Semitism is in this idea that there is some all-powerful Israel lobby that can somehow wind its way into any coverage and, and exert influence. Now, we have to say when CBC's power in politics cover the story, 
on the same day, Monday, May 14th, we had Shimon Fogel, the head of the pro-Israel advocacy group CIJA, on the panel. We did not have a Palestinian or any kind of representative of any, any such group on the panel. And and this, I think, to some conspiratorial thinkers, oh, here, here's the Israel lobby getting onto CBC. Uh, we also had the same Shimon Fogel, ahead of the CIJA, writing a piece in the Globe and Mail. The same Globe and Mail that didn't have any problem saying Israel kills. And their coverage, I think, in editorial and elsewhere has been, I think, very critical of Israel throughout this. Uh, I completely Doug, agree with Doug you. Saunders and everyone else. Yeah. But... Uh, and as I recall, uh, Fogel's piece... Yes. Uh, did illustrate the torture under which many uh, find themselves because of the horrific loss of life. Yes. And the desperation and the horrific humanitarian crisis that exists in Gaza. This is true, but what he also did was, to Alamin's point, the convenient rhetorical device of saying, uh, Gazans deserve better than Hamas, this is all Hamas is doing. And also, uh, and I think this is the part where I feel like the Globe and Mail completely... Uh, allowed him to hijack their platform without any, you know, there is a legitimate journalistic question. Was that use of lethal force necessary? And if so, why, when there's so many other ways to stop people from cutting a fence? Uh, I think there's a military reason why they can show why it is not necessary to use that lethal force. Yes. Why you had to shoot Tarek Labani, why you had to shoot 18 other medics, why you had to kill so many people who were trying to snip a fence. I'm listening. Israel keeps asserting that they had to. They have not shown that they have yet. And there are calls for an independent investigation to prove that. So we had in the pages of the Globe and Mail, CIJA's CEO stating as fact that it was impossible to resist using non-lethal force. And that went uncontested in the Globe and Mail. So here's CIJA getting like CBC space and, and Globe and Mail space. Uh, nobody's fact-checking it. And I think this feeds into this idea that there's some powerful Israel lobby that can get in anywhere. It's really contradictory because it's the same CBC that, that Carol Off, that Carol off sure. gave that interview on. So wh- where, yeah, wh- yeah, what side yeah. is the media on? You can prove it either way. So w- well, when, so when I announced- there was anything rational about the way all of this is, is playing itself out. It's it's all very contradictory. Yes. And it shows how complicated and why there isn't any one narrative or any one set of facts that needs to be taken into consideration. When, when I uh, announced that we were having this panel and I announced that the two of you would be on it, I got an email from somebody from the CIJA, from a senior manager of uh, media relations and analytics. I saw on Twitter, Jesse, that you were hosting a panel discussion about how Canadian media covers Israel. I know you have Elamine Abdul Mahmoud and Karen Mock coming on the show, each with their respective views. Would you consider inviting me to join the panel? I think your listeners would appreciate getting a mainstream, organized Jewish community perspective. Karen, I think there's an assertion there that you are not representing the mainstream Jewish <laughs> perspective. They failed to say that how many years was I head of the League for Human Rights of B'nai B'rith Canada, or how many years was I <laughs> he w- head of the Canadian Race Relations Foundation? And I think the reality is that the progressive voices, when you take them all together, now I am not talking about with for what want of better language is called the far, far left, which crosses the line at times into anti-Semitism, and I'm not talking about the far right. But I think the reality is that today my voice is representing how conflicted most Jewish people are, which I would say is the mainstream of the Jewish community. Well, I I declined his offer to appear on the panel on that basis, that uh, A, we would be discussing the media that CIJA itself put into the Canadian media circulation, and it wasn't appropriate. I think that in the case of this uh, CIJA offer, it does strike me as uh, 
really noteworthy that an organization that published an editorial saying that lethal force had to be used. And, and by the way, we represent the mainstream Canadian Jewish perspective. So the op-eds that you're talking about um, and the panel appearance that you're talking about, like the idea of not checking the question of did Israel need to use that much force um, comes down to like this sort of terrified laziness in Canadian media, terrified that they would step on any toes whatsoever and make any sort of accusation that, you know, hey, what you're saying about Israel is not true. So that's why I think the Global Mail ran that piece the way that they ran it. And then there's a laziness in terms of just like wanting to pursue it further, like wanting to pursue that question further. We don't really review how we talk about um, the Israel-Palestine conflict in this country. We don't really talk about how poor the coverage is in our country. And we don't talk about the biggest sin of all, which is like the constant sort of equivocation between the forces of a nation that has a, a wild, you know, military might and a terrorist group that absolutely is capable of doing damage, um, but not nearly at the same scale as Israel does. That is a question that we just like conveniently and constantly ignore. And it's uh, bewildering to me. Elamine, I am totally 100% in tune with exactly what you've said. And I'm glad you brought it back to that. Because I think that's how we started. When we were talking about the passive voice, I said it was because of their fear. And so So on. what is that reaction? Really what are got, we afraid of? You've really got to the crux of the issue around the media. And I guess, in a much more eloquent way, um, said what I tried to say earlier, when I said, it's important that the whole story is told. And, and I think it's unconscionable that anybody would put out anything without fact-checking. It's why I often refuse to be on certain panels, because I say, you know what? If I'm a community organizer and an activist and a human rights consultant, I don't have enough knowledge of the facts and the history and the details and the cases to even, to even speak of them. I've always believed that the entire story has to be told. And um, I'm hoping that we'll end up being able to have more of these conversations. Elamine asked, what is that fear? What, what is the fear? And I, I, Karen, I think that you, you brought it up earlier. The fear is that in voicing simple facts, both about what happened and what is just a simple human response to them, that it is horrifying that 62 people were shot dead that we might be lending some credibility or support or allegiance even to anti-Semites and to people who do not believe that Israel even has a right to exist, the same right that any nation in the world is afforded in the discourse. But I want to suggest that it's not merely a journalistic practice what we've done today to look at headlines, to look at the word. Uh, it's not exclusive to a Jewish tradition, but it is of the Jewish tradition to put a premium on the word and on truth. And if we find ourselves as Jews or, and as human beings unable to state simple facts, who killed who? Is it an affront to humanity or is it not? Because of fear, then I, I don't know where you go from there. I just wanted to add that the Jewish tradition that you mentioned sounds lovely. That's sort of what we're in the business of as journalists, right? Um, we're in the business of stating just the events of what happened and try to tell them as clearly as possible um, and, and being very careful and thoughtful with our words. Um, and to that extent, I would encourage that, you know, most people in Canadian media think a little bit more carefully about why they're afraid to take on writing about 
Israel and Palestine truthfully, and why they're afraid of the consequences that might befall them for just simply stating what happened. There is a serious lack in this country, with the exception of a few journalists I can think of, who are willing to just sort of talk about the asymmetry of the conflict, to talk about the conditions that have sort of led us to this particular point. It feels like every once in a while, journalists have to report on Israel and have to report on Palestine and have to report on Gaza. And it's kind of like, well, here's the latest thing that happened because you audiences might not really be paying attention and you don't really care that much because it's just a mess over there. What that leads to is a lack of interrogation of the conditions that are on the ground. We're not good at that and we need to be better at it. And in order to do that, we might have to tell some hard truth. Karen, Elamine, thank you very much. That was your Canada Land Show. Email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. There is a new episode of Commons, our flagship original political podcast, coming out this week. You should listen to it because that show is great. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Our website is canadalandshow.com. We run original reporting there all the time. Editorial assistance by Olamide Olanian. And our associate producer is Ellen Payne-Smith. Managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.